You are listening to the Two Sorry Excuses podcast. And for that, I apologize. Hello! And thanks for downloading the Two Sorry Excuses podcast. Recording live via via the internet. I'm your old pal Sanders. And I'm your good buddy Liv. And if you are keeping score at home, this is episode 172. The Bo Burnham edition. Uh-oh. The Bo Burnham edition. The, the teenage girl edition, a.k.a. Uh, we are headed back to the movies today. Yes, we are. Sanders and Liv back at the movies. I came up with a new idea for a podcast. Mostly I came up with a new name for a podcast, uh, which would drive the content. Um, And it'd be called Matt the Movies. Yeah. (laughs) Since we're both Matts. We're both Matts. You got it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, we talk about movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it goes hand in hand, right? Which is usually a pretty good topic for us. Um, I feel like we both... I, I'm not going to say we're both cinemaphiles. You, you, I would say, definitely qualify as a cinemaphile. I would say that I'm, the, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of movies. I'm a fan of the, the process of going to the movies. But um, I was re-listening to the cut of last week's episode, which was the Movie Pass edition... And Ugh, I felt pass. like you were getting a little frustrated with uh, with my lack of of knowledge of the current movie environment. Well, how so? I, I don't. I, I I just felt like that. I was uh, I was holding you back. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would have to go re-listen. I'd have to go listen to that again. <laughs> I felt like you really wanted to blaze some trails, and uh, you felt like you were dragging me along with you, and I could tell that your patience was wearing thin with me. Well, I need you to go to more movies, man. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't always as big a cinephile, you know, but you grow into it. And there's no better time to become a cinephile than as a middle-aged man with ample free time to yourself. So so you're telling me that if if I want any chance of Matt the Movies uh, to launch as a, as a standalone podcast, or even, even an embedded, uh, even as an embedded uh, series within the Two Sorry Excuses universe... Uh, that I got to, I got to get to more movies. Yeah, yeah, you do, you do. Okay, it's All not right, really right. gonna work if if you're like, oh yeah, I heard about that, never saw it. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll see you in eight months. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think that's very compelling podcasting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Um, but good news, man. Good news. This week we are on the same page because we have both seen. Uh, the darling of uh, independent cinema, Bo Burnham's um, award-winning directorial and writing debut. I, I, 
I'm going to guess. Yeah. I mean, I I, he's only like 27 or something. So I, I know it's his directorial debut. I, yeah. I don't know if he's written anything else before, but, um, it, right. It's won a bunch of awards. It's, it's on like the, the, the film festival. I guess circuit. it won something, some stuff on the festival circuits. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that qualifies as, as award winning for sure. Um, but here's how we're going to handle it because movie podcasts are tricky because you want to talk about the movie, but really the only way we know how to do anything is really kind of deep dive into the subject matter. Even if we don't know anything about it, we're going to, we're going to pick it apart. Um, but movie podcast risks spoiling movies and plot lines for folks who hadn't seen the movie yet and as we both know, it's not unusual for either one of us to, to hold off going to a movie, whether it's a big you know, Hollywood blockbuster or an independent movie. So we don't want to ruin that. I'm going to put it like this. If we spoil <laughs> the movie for you tonight, sorry, Fredo. Sorry. Tough titty. <laughs> you should have gone to the movie last week. Which, by the time you're listening to this, might be this week, you know, and now we're getting the whole space-time continuum. Yeah, so that's true. So we have, this is episode what? Uh, that's what I was going to ask you. Is this 171 or uh, it's probably 172? 172. It's actually 172. It's 172. Yeah, right. So if you're keeping score at home, this is episode 172. Um, so... Uh, I'm I'm cutting 170, which will come out. Uh, yeah. The week. This is definitely uh, the first movie he's written. Yes. Okay. All right. So yeah, this is going to be like three three weeks to four weeks before this podcast yeah. even gets. Published. This guy is so young. He turns 28 on uh, what's today? Today's the 16th. He turns 28 on Tuesday. Okay. All right, so here's what I want to do with this then, is I want to talk a little bit about Bo Burnham, because I have a history with Bo Burnham, and by association, you also have a history of Bo Burnham, whether you know this or not. Um, and then at some point, we're going we're gonna to we're gonna di- we're gonna dive pretty deep into the movie. We'll let you know uh, that we're about to head into spoilers. You could shut the, shut the podcast off at that point, because we'll just, we're going to kind of talk about the movie because good thing is most people usually shut it off at that point. Anyway. <laughs> True. Most people have already <laughs> shut it off. Let's be honest, man. Let's yeah. be honest. Most people usually shut off within 10 minutes. Anyway, Fat Pat accidentally downloads it every week because he can't figure yeah. out how to unsubscribe, and then he tries to gut through the first few minutes, and then he shuts yeah. it off, and he's like, "This is horrible." And somehow so, he's it's a, and just by that mistake alone, he's moved to our most loyal listener list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our so most loyal listener is a guy who would prefer not to download, but does not know how to unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you uh it's funny that you mentioned uh, Bo Burnham's age and how young he is um because he's seemingly been on the scene forever. Yeah. I know he's at least been on the scene uh since 2007 because that's when Mike Reardon emailed me and said you got to listen to this guy. 
Now, when we were down in Curacao, uh, uh, from when I was down there, at least, from 2003 to 2006, um, YouTube had not really taken off, but it existed. Yeah. But the whole idea of finding content on the internet was at its was at its infancy stages, um, and it was a real novel concept. So anytime you'd find something on the internet, you know, you would you would shoot an email off, you know, around the office or whatever, and be like, "You got to see this. You got to you got to listen to this. You got to watch this. Whatever." Uh, I'd come back to Curacao in early uh, from Curacao in uh, early 2007, and got an email from Reardon. You know, in the same vein, you know, how you'd shoot an, off, uh, an email around the office. You got to check this kid out. His name is Bo Burnham. But unlike a lot of the other content that we would share amongst our groups of friends, Reardon had a personal connection to this kid because he went to St. John's Prep, which was A the same high school that Reardon went to and Reardon happened to be volunteer coaching basketball while this kid was enrolled. Yeah. And he's six foot five, <laughs> but he didn't play basketball. Yeah. <laughs> but he's a tall dude. I'm just seeing that. That's his IMDB page. I was like, God, he's a tall dude. So the buzz around the school, which is an all boys Catholic high school prep school that we're both very familiar with in a you know a relatively affluent part of a Boston suburb, um, and this kid was you know was was making uh, parody videos, parody song videos uh, in his in his attic bedroom. Yeah. In, uh, Man, I don't, I don't know where he's from. He he credits himself. He's, it says Hamilton on his IMDb page. Okay. What does um, he credit himself? He said Boston. He credits himself as as a yeah, but it, the town specifically is Hamilton. So I don't even Saint, know where that is. I'm not even familiar yeah, with that one. I, do I assume I, it's Saint somewhere John's up north. Prep is weird, um, because there's kids who come from from New Hampshire. Because yeah. New Hampshire's only you know an hour. Yeah, because it's that's north of Boston, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. close to New Hampshire. Yeah. So and I drove forty minutes to get to school, so uh, it's got a huge uh, geographic net. But I'm guessing it's somewhere um, by like the, the um, you know Danvers, the Route One corridor north. Well, St. John Prep's technically in Danvers, right? Danvers, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's I'm guessing it's north and, and west of that. So Reardon's like, you got to check this kid out. And uh, when Angie and I got our place in in uh, the condo that we moved into, we didn't have television. We this was even before streaming services. We just said, listen, you know. One month, we'll try it without cable. And if we don't like it, you know, if you need your television, we'll go back. But I had lived three years without without broadcast television, without cable television. Um, I, I didn't need it. And Netflix uh, had just launched, but it didn't launch their streaming service yet. It was just you ordered a disc. And you got the DVD sent to yeah. your house. So we had subscribed to that. We had Apple TV where you could buy series um, 
a certain certain shows you could buy the series um or the season like we had bought house um on apple tv so it was at its infancy it was by no means what you could do now but it, it was enough to get us through you know a couple hours in the evening when we wanted to chill out but we got into youtube and bo burnham we would w- literally wait for him and we'd check like, you know, once a week to see if he had released a new video because he's this, uh, you know, he's, he's like, we can relate to this prep school, you know, middle class, upper middle class uh, prep school kid with a good sense of humor and a killer vocabulary. The only thing that would that would separate him from from you know guys like you and I in high school is that he can play multiple musical instruments. Oh yeah, and he's got this thing called the internet that he can broadcast uh, his content to. So Ange and I got into Bo Burnham like back in 2007. So he's a high school student back then. And if you want to know if you want to see, like, what a, what a super talented high school comedian looks like, go to YouTube, uh, find Bo Burnham's uh, channel, and look up one of a couple videos. One is called uh, Bo for Show. Uh, the second one's called Yo Bo. And the third one's called New Math. And they're these, uh, these witty... Punny, uh, synthesized rap songs that he that he plays over over his keyboard, and you got to listen. The reason why they held our attention so much is because you listen to them once and they're good, but if you listen yeah. to them two and three times, like the lyricism and the way he turns a phrase and his punnery. Is is fucking hysterical, and the fact that he's a high school kid, like he en- he endears himself to you. So it's not just funny. You're like, yeah, yeah. man, this is this is this is a, this, is a, this must be a good kid. So I got really into Bo Burnham, and I was really entertained by him. For probably two or three years. <laughs> then like anything, any underground independent art that you hold dear, you have no choice but to turn on it once it hits the mainstream. Right? Yeah. You know, go back to the Sex Pistols. Go back to the Ramones. Go back to, you know... Whatever was counterculture and underground becomes passe once it hits a mainstream and it becomes a, a, a shadow of its former self. So, like, the new mainstream fans aren't even getting a good representation of that product. And the old school fans have shunned it because, they, yeah. you know, they've quote-unquote sold out. 
I, probably this probably goes back to Chaucer, you know. <laughs> yeah, probably for as long as you know any type of art uh, for the masses has been around, you know. Right, right. You know, I knew that way back when I was watching <laughs> that band in a shithole bar in Asbury Park. Now they're playing Madison Square Garden. Fuck them. Yeah, they suck now that they sold out. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. But like that, you would have given anything, you know, for your friends to listen to th- that CD or that mixtape or, you know, watch that video or whatever back in the day and they were blowing you off. And now everybody wants to watch that piece of, of art or that piece of content and, and now you're pissed about it. I, I guess that's, you know, that's human nature. But um, it, it was when he crossed the threshold from YouTube star to stand-up comedian with Netflix specials was when I, I kind of pumped the brakes. Yeah. He, I don't know. Have you seen what, – what, what's, your, what's your relationship with him other than, than this movie? Uh, I remember when he first came around, he was getting Comedy Central specials. And I tried to watch it one night. And I didn't find it funny. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's, that's All right, so like five or ten minutes. I was like, this is boring. You know? It's this dude playing a piano saying stuff that really isn't too funny in my opinion. Maybe yeah, okay. it's quirky, but it's not funny. You know? <laughs> so this is this is this is really funny because my I have two two intersecting thoughts that are that you've just confirmed. One is when I first heard this guy, the first person I thought of was you. <laughs> Why is that? Because it's a little, it's a little esoteric. Yeah. It's definitely lofty. He's definitely a guy who is, uh, who not, is not only, re- who not only relies on an elevated vocabulary, but also, uh, Oh, what's the word I'm going to look for? What's the word I want? Um, I'm going to use the word benefits. Uh, I use the word benefits, but uh, I don't mean benefits. He he relies on his his elevated vocabulary, but also benefits from the fact that everybody else's vocabulary is diminished compared to his. Yeah. And, um, and I, not that he's got an air of, of he ha, back then he had an air of self deprecating presentation. Yeah. Right. And, yep. and, and that's very much, it's very much my perception of you in a vacuum. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you would disagree with any of those things. No, I but don't like, disagree with that. Yeah. Public yeah. live. Right. Public yeah. live. That's 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 how I would sum him up. The second intersecting point, which you have just emphasized, is that the people who find that type of humor or presentation the most annoying or uninteresting are the people 
who possess that type of humor. Yeah, I get you. I can understand where you're coming from with that theory. It's and and I don't know if it's if it's uh, if it's overt in like I can do that funnier, or if the if it's covert in the sense that, oh man, I I I kind of do that, and I'm not finding that funny. Am I not funny? I I don't know where where that spectrum is. But I, that's I don't know if that's it, because I think his audience is an audience I don't even think would find anything I say funny. You know? Uh, so which goes to... Which is, that's, I guess that's my... Teenage girls. Point. Young girls. Oh, okay, really? That's his audience? I, I go to what was the interview that they showed at the end of 8th grade when I saw it. And he's like, and people wonder why I'm making movies. But they used to say I was a comedian for 13-year-old girls. So it's appropriate that I make a movie about a 13-year-old girl. And as I said, I never really thought he was funny. And then, then he came to town and my sister took my niece to see it. And my sister Mimi, you know, um, she's kind of a nerd that's into vocabulary and everything. But she's more into doing stuff that my niece likes to do. And my niece thinks he is so wonderful and my niece is now a 19 year old girl and this is probably like four or five years ago right. yeah right. this is like when he was making his march of his like oh bo burnham and he was doing like you know maybe thousand two thousand seat places or whatever you know yeah 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 and i was like ah when he said that i was like i get it now now i understand why Sloan was so attracted to his thing because that kind of is, I guess, his market was, you know, it might have not intentionally been his market, but you look at him. He's a cute little geeky type of looking guy that girls, uh, smart girls think is cute, you know, and funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So that makes that makes some that makes more sense to me in your in in your reaction to him because that that I I agree to put you in a room full of 13-year-old girls is nothing but disaster for oh all parties, it's terrible all parties because involved. I'm sure especially him being 14 years my junior he's probably more sensitive to uh even though he went to an all boys high school and stuff he probably is more sensitive to the uh modern senses of a young lady than I would be. <laughs> and a lot of his early shtick, um, you know, not only was it self-deprecating, um, it was very androgynous. Yeah. And it was, um, it was you know, almost like gender fluid, as, as okay. we would say today, uh, poking fun at whether he was or was not gay, um, you know, the jabs that he would take. From that perspective, so yeah, I I, I can see that. I and I'll say that. this too, like I I watched him independent of any outside things, just like because I used to watch a lot of Comedy Central, like Bo Burnham. I was like, well, I'll check this out because I give comedians a chance, you know. Yeah. And if I think they're funny, you know, I will watch again. I don't care, you know. It's not like like I like talking about liking stuff before it got over, like. 
I liked Amy Schumer originally, you know, but that was before she really blew up. You know, right. I went and saw her live in general mission at the House of Blues, like on a Sunday evening, like at 530. It was at the end of the first season of her show. And she had booked that show like for a tour before she had really, you know, before the show came on. It was but but by the end of the season, she was a huge star now, you know. Right. And she right. was way funnier back then when she was just a comic and not somebody with an agenda who's a comic, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I definitely understand that. And, you know, if I would have thought Bo Burnham was funny, I would have had no problem. It just, I was like, it's just, and a lot of the newer stuff is not my type, but that's the way art works, you know? That's why young people are playing the popular music for young people. Yeah. 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 Totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I mean, time stuff passes you up, and the mass audience is the young people. You know. So, who are Bo Burnham's fans now? Are they still teenage girls, or are they twenty-eight-year-old girls? Well, I think they'd probably still be girls who are in college and stuff, and even possibly high school. But the other thing is, I think. Looking at what he's done in the past year, I think he's trans he's trying to transition away from that anyway. You know, like like the first thing I saw him directing anything was the Chris Rock um tambourine and Chris Rock's new Netflix special that came out earlier this year. It was like directed by Bo Burnham. I was like, I don't know how much he really has to do, but of course when they do the stand up specials, they they are taping Usually it's over a course of multiple shows, you know, like two, two, two nights probably, you know, and yeah. they're piecing together. So there is definitely a directorial, uh, you know, bent to it, you know, yeah, feature yeah, yeah. The of cuts, it. The cuts yeah, they to made cut and... like the way the jokes flow and which version works the best to the next one, you know, so there's definitely something to that. And now that he's written and directed this one, this movie, it's like, well, yeah, I might not think he's the funniest comedian in the world, but I will say he's a hell of a movie writer and a director. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I think that's that's a pretty good distinction to make. Right. Just because just because you don't like his comedy doesn't like mean in form in his stand-up format yeah yeah just because you don't like his comedy doesn't mean you don't like his comedy yeah because the thing i thought that was great about this movie and i guess we'll get into it um is the fact that somebody with a comedic sensibility wrote it there were like in the midst of like what is seemingly well when you're that age seemingly traumatic things happening to you there were little bits of comic relief you know, like yeah. shedding the light on the lighter side of the shitty stuff that happens to you as an awkward, um, you know, early, early adolescent, you know. So this is a good this is a good point to throw down our spoiler tag. If you uh, don't want the movie spoiled, uh, I guess it's time for you to uh, shut off and say goodbye. Um, good night, Fredo. <laughs> but you hope you st- I, I I hope you stick with us because um, this movie, as I as I 
either texted you or told you after I saw it. I don't remember if we had recorded a podcast on the heels of, of me actually watching this or if I texted you. I think we did record after, but with the understanding that we were going to save this. So I had a bunch of emotional reactions and a couple feels throughout the entire movie. Yep. The movie gives you the feels. It, it really does. And I want to, I'm going to preface what I'm about to say Uh-oh. by letting you know that I loved the movie. I loved the characters. I loved the cinematography. I loved the writing. I thought the jokes were great. Um, yep. And I would recommend this movie to anybody. Me too. And I tell people, everybody I've told about this movie, and I'm like, I was telling to the group of people I work with last week, I'm like, anybody could relate to it. Even if you were the hot shot in high school or like the hot, you know, you know, those kids that never went through the shitty phase, you know? Yes. Yeah, because they all exist. You know, there's a group of the cool, popular kids that never have to go through the shittiness of, you know, like in the movie, the mean girls, you know? Yeah. Who never really have to go through the shitty side of it, at least from my perspective and your perspective. Maybe, oh, you don't really understand how hard it is for us. Yeah, you know, but I think anybody can relate to it, you know, which like even even if you want those people, you can relate to it from the perspective of like, oh, well, empathy for other people, you know, because you might have been one of those kind of people now you're grown up realizes oh well, i was kind of a shitty person like that you know <laughs> yes with all those with all those accolades i still wanted there were at least two separate occasions and one of these occasions lasted for at least 10 to 15 minutes where i debated leaving the movie walk walking out of the movie wait you thought about leaving the movie yes okay well we gotta get there okay on two separate occasions i felt like i wanted to leave the movie and i have never walked out of a movie i don't care how bad the movie was i like watching bad movies i don't care how offensive the movie was i don't care how annoying the people around me were i've never walked out of a movie but I wanted to walk out of this movie. I, I, I actually contemplated on two separate occasions. And so much so that when I finally did leave the movie after, after it was done, um, I walked home. Because I went to see it at, at my little independent movie theater downtown. So I walked. And it's in a real small theater, you know, 20 seats, and you're right up on the screen. And it has yeah. a real big impact on you. Um, I was in a daze walking home because I still had like that hangover effect from the movie that was causing me to want to walk out. And I wasn't walking out because it was bad. I was walking out because it was so realistic. Yeah. 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 And that's why I thought it was the perfect movie for you to see based on the yearbook episodes we did recently. Yes. 
So this, I'd only ever heard of this phenomenon once before, and it was uh, when Swingers came out. And uh, if you ever seen the movie Swingers, um, yeah. And if you have Just a spoiler, popular <laughs> during the uh, Two Excuses College era. Yes. And there's the scene where um, John Favreau's character gets the number from the girl at the bar. And all the guys tell him, this is where, you know, the whole wait three days, the three-day rule, blah, blah, blah. Uh, don't call her. Play it cool. C- girls, you know, want a dude who plays it cool. And he goes home. He has a bad night after they leave the bar. And he goes home, and he's all discombobulated, but he's excited because he has the girl's number. And he calls her and leaves a message on her voicemail, and it gets cut off. And then it ensues the most cringeworthy series of of events that I, that I don't want to say that I've ever seen in a movie because I've seen some cringeworthy stuff, but it's a particularly cringeworthy worthy scene where he just keeps making a fool of himself, right? And it's yeah. one of it's one of my favorite scenes because it's funny. It's relatable, and it really humanizes this character. Mike Peters can't watch that scene. He fast-forwards <laughs> through that because he tells me he gets so frustrated at the character that it ruins the rest of the movie for him. Yeah. Right? So yeah. he has this reaction to this thing that the character is doing that is so foreign to him that he 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 doesn't want the rest of the movie ruined, so he fast forwards through it. My reaction is the opposite, which which bug which kind of bugged me out a little bit because uh, I'm relating firsthand to this 13 year old girl <laughs> to the point where. I can't bear that this fictional character is going to have to live through some of the moments that I'm anticipating her having to live through. So I, I find myself needing and wanting to leave so I don't have to witness her experience them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, is troublesome to me on a couple different levels. One... It's a fucking movie. It's not real. But I can't. I'm having a hard time making that distinction. I'm having a hard time separating that while I'm watching the movie. And the second is, it's a 13-year-old girl. (laughs) I'm having an emotional connection with a 13-year-old girl. I don't know what to tell you, man. And it's it's heavy, man. It's heavy to the point that I want to leave. This movie's heavy. Like I didn't want to leave the movie, but I walked out. It had an impact on me because it's such a great story. So in in retrospect, in retrospect, after having a couple weeks to digest it, I've come to the conclusion that it's just a brilliantly written movie because it transcends. Uh, gender, it transcends generation, it transcends age, it transcends sex, it transcends uh, lot in life, position in life, right? 
Yeah. I've got nothing in common with this character. She's being raised by a single parent. She lives in the YouTube. She's she's growing up in the digital age in the YouTube generation where all these kids want to be stars. Yeah, and that's what she does throughout. The, that's one of the you know one of the settings of the movie is that she's constantly basically documenting her experience, and it's kind of like she's trying to buck her own self up by saying the way you really should be, even though she knows she's not that way. But it's trying to like. Since we already gave the spoiler, you know, she's trying, it's sort of like say it and it happens sort yes. of type of thing. Yeah. Y- yes. Which is not only a, uh, a coping mechanism for this generation of kids, you know, whatever the, the tail end or the younger generation, you know, after millennials is, uh, it's not only germane to their experience it's because it's germane to our experience too they just are putting it out there as uh as almost like a growth tool a maturation aid right yep she's like well if i put it out there it's true if i speak it it's fact right it's what they you know they say don't want to be a writer be a writer. You know, yep. don't want to be a YouTube star. Be a YouTube star. If you will it, it shall be. Right? Yeah. Uliich Lenin. Isn't that? Uh, yeah. Isn't that from? Uh, if you if uh, no 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 no, it's the state of Israel. The state of Israel. If you will it, dude, it shall be. It's from uh, Big Lebowski. Okay. So, so that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to put it out there to make it a reality. And obviously this girl, uh, it, it's not her reality, but she has an opportunity to not only put up a false front, but try to, con- try to drag herself into a new reality. So everybody can relate to that. Yeah. Especially two middle-aged dudes who do a podcast as... Uh, as 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 uh, dime store therapy. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. That's what we're doing. We're not doing this for the for the thousands of subscribers who listen to us on a weekly basis, uh, forty times a year. Although those people are nice, we do it. You know, it's it's a weekly catharsis, sort of like her little uh, Snapchat videos and stuff she's doing in the movie. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But we don't either have that perspective or that toolbox or that mindset to say, well, I don't need Liv to do this. I could just uh, prop up in front of a YouTube, uh, in front of a camera, and I could, you know, spout these truisms that I spout every week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's not in our, that's not in our, uh, you know, in our social DNA, right? Because yeah. that didn't exist when we were. Yeah, I mean, we she's a product of that, and and on top of it, she's a she's a lonely child too. You know, yeah. that's that's one of her hangups is that she has no friends. Yeah, 
but we're doing it but we're doing yeah. it the way that we grew up doing it you 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 know you had something on your mind or you needed to get something off your chest or you're feeling a little insecure what would you do you got around with your buddies and you tried to make your buddies laugh or you busted your buddies balls or you yeah. debated with your buddies we just do that we just record it but 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 that's how we our social maturation relied on that but it's the same thing as 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 this character's doing just the the, the tools are different right so yeah. i felt a little less bad about myself after digesting it because i just realized he made a fucking good movie man yeah it's a great movie I mean, like the other aspect too. Like, there's a guy at the office. He's a 65 year old dude, but he's got a he has a 20 year old daughter. Yeah, and he's a single father and stuff. But he's one of these old school guys because he's 65. You know, right? Yes, by definition. Yeah. So he's kind of a misogynist because he is because he grew up in a smaller town, I guess. But not he grew up 20 minutes away from New Orleans. But it's like. It's like as if he grew up in a different time almost because, you know, most 65-year-old people aren't this misogynistic, you know. But, I, that, I mean, I think having a daughter probably um, softened him. But I was telling him, I'm like, because he's a divorced father and he's been raised, I'm like, you should. He's a guy normally if you told him, hey, you should go see his movie, you'd be like, no, that's not manly. One of those type of guys, you know. But I'm like, yeah, yeah. you should go see this movie with your daughter. I was like, because you would understand, because that's the other, you know, the lesser story in this movie is the father, the single father who's trying to relate and stay a part of his daughter's life uh, as she makes the transition from being his little girl into like an adolescent who really doesn't have time to deal with a father. You know? Yes, right. Yeah. So there's there's that aspect to it too, and in his own way, he's he's got a lot of the same awkwardness she's dealing with. Just you know, it's cast against another type of relationship issue. You know, so there's there's two really there's the one main story, her story of like, well, here I am at the end of middle slash junior high or whatever. You know, I guess they just call it all middle school now ready to leap and what the hell, you know, because that's what it is. The time capsule. Oh, this is when you came here, what life was going to be like, you know, and she's looking at it. It's like, you know, I mean, cause everything, the scale of the world's so much smaller when you're only 13, you know, like little things like three years, that's like a lifetime to you. And it's like, here I am at the end of three years and what a loser I am, you know? Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, you know, as a so it also plays to an audience like us of people because now, like, we're guys in our 40s. It's like, well, here we are. Oh, where the fuck are we and why are we only here? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and even more direct, I can even compartmentalize, you know, periods of recent history. You know, here I am only five years removed and where the fuck am I? What a loser yeah. I am. Here I am 10 years removed. Where the fuck am I? What a loser yeah. I am. You know, so. You, and you tell yourself, just like she tells herself in the movie, it will get better. I will make a point to get better. I will, because I was even saying that recently. So I was like, 
all right, I need to make a point to get out back there again. Get out there again. You know, just start getting out there. And that's basically what she's telling herself is like, well, I need to work on making friends. You know, they're not going to come to me. You know, like the whole, because that's the whole thing. She's like, I'm just this weirdo loser. And is this going to carry over for the next four years as I move into the next phase of adolescence? You know, like it's, it's a, well, this is where I am now, but something the unknown and daunting awaits, you know? Yeah, no, totally, totally. And the, and the perspective that she provides as, you know, as a, whatever she is, a 13 year old kid, uh, it's, it's a universal perspective. Yeah. Right. Because you look in the present, you look back, I look back and I'm like, man, that guy who, you know, wept over cold pizza while locked in his third floor room was a lot stronger or a lot more resilient than I realized at the time. Right. You're always, you're always, your present self is always, is always taking a backseat to, to your past self, you know, you look back and, oh man, I yeah. was funny, I was in shape, I was whatever. And then you're always taking a backseat to your future self, right? Yeah. I'm going to hit the gym tomorrow. I'm going to, you know, that guy's going to be more organized, whatever it is. And you're always kind of discounting your current self as an adult, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> as yeah. A, as, as a middle-aged man. So, uh... I got, when I left the movie, I was a little depressed because I was like, I have way too much in common with a with a teenage girl. That's that's a problem. <laughs> See, but you're right? looking at it from the wrong perspective, I think, you know? Yes. Because then, I think it's a universal thing that yes. anybody can relate to. It's just that it's done in the context of a 13-year-old girl who is at a, a unique time that a lot of people have gone through but i mean it relates to so many other aspects of life and different stages we're in because yes i felt that way at 13 or 12 i guess because uh more so like before i entered eighth grade at the all boys school the trepidation that comes with that you know and uh but i've also felt it at other junctures of my life you know and i i think you kind of i think throughout life you're constantly going to feel those because we go through these different phases of life of our lives where there's always you know the pat the immediate past behind us with the unknown future which seemingly seems like it will go on forever but it only goes on until we reach that next point where we're ready to come to another you know you know what i'm saying yeah, and so and, it's like and, a repeating sort of pattern for our lives, and that was the point where kind of the fog lifts, right? And you kind of yeah. shake off the effects of the movie, and you know, a day goes by or two days go by, and you really start to appreciate the message of the movie and realize that that's all he chose a thirteen-year-old girl as his vehicle for whatever reason. Yeah. He could have chosen a 13-year-old boy. He could have chosen a middle-aged dude. He could have chosen, you know, a, a, an older person because the message is universal. Yeah. 
And and he got me. He hooked me. I'm a Bo yeah. Burnham fan again. And like as I I said earlier, and he relates like he able he he is able to relate to teenage girls. So it's appropriate, I guess, that he wrote the movie about that because he knows kind of how they are. I mean, probably just being that he became popular with them probably did help him understand, you know, like the the fears, the the psyche of that generation specific to that gender or whatever, you know? So that I relate to that in, 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 in a, in a different way because I relate to that, that choice of using, uh, you know, a unique character as a vehicle, right? Because I don't know we ever talked about my short stories. Uh, we may have in the, Four plus five years, or whatever we've been doing the the pod. So I'm gonna say about twelve to fifteen years ago, I started writing this series of short stories, and it's uh, it's a collection of 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 independent short stories that that share a common thread. So together, they they can almost be bound together as like a novella. Right. Okay. They, yeah. They they have a theme that runs through them. The characters share a universe, and they they just they just come short of crisscrossing into each other's works. If that makes sense, it, it'd be very similar to like like uh, like a Quentin Tarantino. Um, What's that four rooms movie? Yeah. Where there are four different vignettes, but there's there's one shared universe. Or like like even pulp fiction. Yeah. The yeah, stories cross over in each other, but there's separate stories where even though they cross over, the parties don't necessarily know they do. Exactly. And and the first story actually works in reverse chronological order, and then the second story is told uh, in three parts in, in present tense, and then the uh, and then the third story starts in um, natural chronological order, and, and the chapters are, are divided. Uh, they're just called the beginning, the middle, and the end, but the beginning of the one story is actually the, the end of that character's tale, and they kind of interweave and, and, and have a free flow to it. Um, but when I was doing this, when I was writing these over the course of, of, of a couple of years, um, I would go, I was pretty serious about it. I wanted to, to get them published. And I actually self-published. Uh, there's a copy somewhere. Um, I think I gave it to my mom. She probably still has it somewhere. Um, but one of the the series, the story, the sequence of stories in the series is written the, from the perspective of a girl. And um, her first story is as a eight or ten year old girl. You don't really know exactly how old she is, but she's definitely young. And it's a girl who went, uh, she's from Scotland. And what you find out in her first story is is that she's uh, she goes to Syracuse in 1996 uh, to see that display of the Pan Am flight 
statues. Do you remember? Yeah. The uh, that dark allergy. I think it might have been yes, called. Yes, correct. That's exactly what it was called. And yeah. that was on campus when I enrolled. It was near like it, Slocum Hall or whatever. Yep. Yep. Totally. Yeah. And it was and like it the was, uh, sculptures of basically the mothers. Basic, yes. like that's what it's supposed to represent, like the mourning mothers or whatever, right? Yep. Yeah. For those who are not familiar with it, it was it was a it was a bombing, a terrorist bombing of a Pan Am flight that Syracuse students were on. A handful of Syracuse students were on, and it uh, it it uh, blew up over Lockerbie, Scotland. Flight one hundred and three. Yep. Famous um, terrorist act. So that had a, a, a tremendous impact. It had a tremendous impact on me. On you know, I'm this bright-eyed, uh, you know, freshman, eighteen-year-old college kid, and I step on campus, and here's these, these statues, right? And so I wrote a story about it, but I didn't want to be so transparent, and and you know, write this autobiographical short story. Spoiler yeah. alert. The the entire series of this uh, of these short stories that I put together are autobiographical in some sense or, or another in a fantastical sense, right? They're not actually things that that happen, but they're they're stories I came up with. Obviously, I wrote them, but in I'd find myself in an instance, and I'd be like, oh. Imagine if this happened, and 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 create a fantastical tale out of it. Yeah, but yeah. I brought these stories to online uh, online uh, writers forums, where you'd post your stories and you'd get feedback from people. And the story that got the most positive feedback—it was like a hundred percent rating—was this story I wrote from the perspective of an eight or ten-year-old girl about my reaction to this this tragedy that was affecting tangentially affecting the world that I lived in right but yeah. it was just a relatable way to tell a story because they were pretty common what what I conveyed were pretty what I interpreted as pretty common emotions for a small kid. Yeah. How they yeah. would process things. But it was still it was a universal tale of of sadness and and perseverance. So if you read it, that story, hopefully you make a connection with it. And if you were anything like me in coming out of the movie of eighth grade, you'd be like, why the fuck am I connecting with a with the emotions of a 10-year-old <laughs> But then if you let it set in, you realize these aren't the emotions of a 10-year-old girl. They're, they're the emotions of people. Yeah. And they're, they're common emotions, and they're common, uh, and, and, and it's a common tale. Yep. So I know that was a really long way to go for me to ask you guys to please... Um, Order my book off of Amazon. <laughs> it's called, uh, Stories Without Morals by Sanders Lightfoot. Uh, in the second edition, you can find it. Also available through Infowars.com. <laughs> Anywhere books uh, are sold. <laughs> so uh, for a while, I had actually uh, I had actually registered the domain Anywhere Books. Anywhere Books. Oh yeah, because. I couldn't believe nobody had it. Anywhere books are sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But then I realized nobody buys books anymore, so yeah, I couldn't like afford the nine ninety nine a year. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So I gave it up. But uh, so that's that was the process of going through watching this movie, and um, and I put it up there with with movies that give you the feels, man. Yeah, it movies definitely that make does. You connect. It's a great film. Uh, it'll relate to anybody. And even if you're like, well, why would I want to see a movie called Eighth Grade about a little girl? Go and see it. Uh, don't be turned off by the name. Don't be turned off by some sense of machismo. Fredo. Uh, <laughs> just go and see the movie. You know, don't try it. Think you're too cool to see it, Brian. Um <laughs> This is my favorite part of of the Two Star Excuses <laughs> podcast, uh, where you blatantly alienate <laughs> a handful of people who support us, no matter what we do. Yeah. Uh, my second favorite is is when you uh, alienate them on the sly, but my all time favorite is when you take them head on. <laughs> 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 and alienate them from Jump Street. Well, the goal is, you know, they'll be like, oh, well, I'll show you. And then they'll go see the movie and be like, oh, he's right, damn it. I'm like, yes, I win. It's a great movie, even though Mike Reardon probably endorses the hell out of it. <laughs> Based well, solely the- on the fact that Bo Burnham is a fellow St. John prepper like him. That's true. That's true. Well, then on that note, (laughs) Gucci. (laughs) Gucci. (laughs) 